From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome aboard, friends. I'm staring through the glass at my young producer, Tim Spreen. How do, how do? Just got back from a, uh, a wedding, literally five minutes from here across uh, Lakeshore Boulevard at uh, what used to be Ontario Place. There's a, um, a wonderful uh, venue there called uh, Atlantis. And uh, one of my little guy's godmother was getting married. And uh, uh, Zachary, six years old, was out on the dance floor tonight. Just unbelievable. He was like, I don't know, something came over him. He's normally a very shy uh, individual. We got him out there, and he loves to dance, but not in front of people. And he dragged me up there. He said, Dad, let me show you a few steps. <laughs> I tell you, you know what? I, I, I keep saying this. If you pay attention to what's really going on, on, on in the world, it's it's dire, okay? The economy, it's dire. You don't get this from the mainstream press. We are on the cusp of... Uh, Economic meltdown. I'm sorry to say, it's true. I believe it with every, you know, every fiber of my being. But what do we, what do we to do? I mean, we're, we're powerless. You know what we're, you know what you need to do? You need to get out there and dance. That's what you need to do. You need to enjoy yourself. Uh, I think I've said this before. You, you know, learn how to grow your own vegetable. Squirrel a little gold bullion away, not in the banks. Keep your family and friends close to you. Get out there and dance. I'm a horrible dancer, but I don't even—I don't care anymore. I'm just going to get out there and dance because, hey, that's all that's left to us. You gotta—you gotta grab on to hold hold of something, enjoy yourself a little bit, um, pray to your God, whoever that may be, and uh, batten down the hatches. But dance. All right, uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley is going to join me here in just a moment. Uh, a remarkable uh, story she's working on involving haunted artifacts, specifically. Dolls. It gets worse. Uh, I know a lot of people that are afraid of uh, of dolls. Clowns. I know people that are afraid of clowns. Horrified by clowns. Imagine a haunted clown doll. We're going to hear about that in just a moment. A little bit later on the uh, the hour. A heads up. Victor Vigiani, our good friend here from Zeland News uh, Network, has just recently returned from Washington. They had a, they had a big citizens hearing down there on UFO disclosure. He sat in on the testimony. A former senator has now come out after sitting in on these hearings and said he is now convinced ETs are here on Earth, interacting with humanity. And uh, Victor will uh, will fill us in, I'm sure, on some other uh, uh, riveting testimony that he heard, including some from our own former defense minister, the Honorable Paul Hellier. This was the former deputy prime minister who was down there saying some pretty mind-blowing things. He's, uh, Mr. Hellier has been on this program saying some pretty mind-blowing things. Wait till you hear what he had to say down there in Washington. Our lives may never be the same again, Tim. Are you ready for this? All right, let's launch into it. Uh, first of all, however, I'm very pleased to welcome back Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our regular contributor, paranormal investigator extraordinaire, the author of nearly 50 books, 10 of them major encyclopedic works, and she joins us the second Sunday of every month. Hey, Rosemary, how are you? I'm doing great, Richard. Just got back from the International UFO Congress. It was such a delight to see you there. What a great event. Yes, it was a great event. Uh, I mean, I guess that is among, uh, in terms of the UFO conferences, that is the big daddy, isn't it? 
It is. It is the best, the biggest, uh, always a great event for the latest uh, research information from the leading experts in the field, and a fabulous networking event, and who can beat going to Arizona in the wintertime? Oh, I think we both needed a break. You're getting uh, lots of snow in Connecticut, same here, up in uh, north of Toronto. And it was great meeting your, your fiancé, Joe, by the way, and congratulations once again. Thank you very much. We will be getting married sometime this spring. Uh, Joe loves these subjects as well. In fact, we actually met at a Mothman conference in 2004. How appropriate. How appropriate. And we'll talk about the Mothman because the Mothman figures largely in... Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? Hi, Richard. Well, I'm busy as ever and getting ready to go to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania for a haunted weekend event. I go to Gettysburg every year, and it's such a wealth of paranormal phenomena there, uh, mostly from the battlefield of the Civil War era. You can still experience uh, the 1863 battle. It's an incredible place. I, I can imagine that, that, that these Civil War battlefields would be a treasure trove for uh, EVPs and, and uh, Frank Frank's box sessions, just because obviously so much uh, of violence, a tragedy, death surrounding those battlefields, it could keep you busy just touring around all of these battlefields scattered across the United States indefinitely. It certainly can, and, and I've had years of experience at Gettysburg, always have uh, data to collect there, and it's different every time. You can always tune into something. One of the things that I also like about Gettysburg is the town itself, because it has some very interesting antique shops, and sometimes you run across haunted objects. Uh, objects that have um, residues of, of memories and emotional attachments, objects that have spirits attached. And occasionally you run across one of the most interesting haunted objects of all, and that's the haunted doll. So I'm going to be out looking for dolls this weekend. I've been getting calls from people uh, who feel that they have purchased haunted dolls, and they want to know if such a thing is real. And yes, it is very real. Oh, it's 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 one of those things that's very creepy uh, to me. I remember my mother uh, purchased an antique doll. This was just a few years ago. My mother now up in her 80s, but she saw this beautiful antique doll, and uh, she sat it on top of her bed. And, and several years ago, I, I bought my mother a dog. And the first day I brought I bought this I brought this uh, puppy over to my mom's house, and the dog of course did the tour of the house, made a beeline for her bedroom, and sat at the ed- edge of the bed, transfixed, looking at this doll and barking, barking cr- like crazily, as if I don't know it's it sensed something about this doll. So you're absolutely right. There's something about dolls. It, the dog probably did because animals are very sensitive to that. And if you bring an object in to your home that has some kind of weird energy to it or a spirit attachment, your pets are going to pick up on that right away. And many times they'll avoid the object because they, it's unsettling to them. Not all spirit attachments are bad, but uh, we investigators, we always hear about the problem ones. For some reason, uh, well, actually, I have some pretty good reasons why dolls seem to be more likely to be haunted than other possessions, even though anything can can get a spirit attachment. The thing about dolls uh, is they're 
uh, in a likeness to human beings, and they're they're like little people. And when kids play with them, they imbue them with a personality. They animate them. Uh, people who collect dolls um, imbue them with a lot of emotional energy. And so it's no surprise that they then can become ideal vehicles for spirit attachment. And uh, when those objects pass on to new owners and they get in the right environment with the, with the right person, they can literally start acting as though they have a life of their own. So is the idea here, Rosemary, that perhaps this doll, uh, let's assume that it was an older doll, maybe an antique, the, the previous owner, maybe a little girl, uh, died and was so attached to that doll during her lifetime that when she passed, her her spirit went into that doll. That's certainly a possibility. Uh, when people have a great deal of attachment to an object, and especially if they have an unhappy death or a sudden death, uh, some of them may remain behind uh, clinging to a favorite object. Sometimes just our emotions can stay with an object and take on a personality. If you uh, have a, a beloved object and uh, you, you don't want to part with it, um, some of your emotions can cling to an object and kind of take on a personality too. And then someone acquires it, and haunted objects are usually acquired secondhand, although I, I do have cases where brand new objects uh, come along with, with something extra, so to speak. But it's usually a secondhand object, and someone admires it in a shop. Uh, quite often they feel there's something very unusual about it. Uh, and so they bring it home, and things start to happen. There's a weird atmosphere in the house. They suddenly have poltergeist phenomena. They start having strange dreams. Most interesting of all, and this does happen, the dolls move around on their own. No, oh, jeez. <laughs> That's the last thing I'd need. So, so now, people are reporting, so people that are contacting you now that have dolls, they're reporting this type of activity. They actually see the, the, the doll, what, doing what? Hovering above the bed or walking across the room on its little plastic legs? What? Well, it's very rare to actually see the object move. Uh, and this is the case with haunted objects in general, is that you, you rarely see them move, but you find them move. For example, a lot of people have doll collections. They'll put the dolls on a certain shelf or in a certain room, um, and they leave and then come back in the room, and the doll is in another location. How did it get there? Who moved it? And so they put it back, and they think, oh, well, I must have done it and forgot about it. Uh, so they put the doll back in the, the original spot, and the doll moves again. Uh, I've had cases where uh, people find dolls turned around so that their faces are uh, facing the wall instead of out into the room, even dolls that have moved from room to room. Um, I had one case where uh, a woman said that she started dreaming about the doll, and uh, she would dream about it coming into the bedroom, and this was like a terrifying dream to her, and she would wake up and the doll wouldn't be there, but she would find the doll moved uh, to different locations in the house. And some of these stories remind me of, of this old Twilight Zone episode about a doll called Talking Tina, and the stepfather 
uh, disliked the doll, and his stepdaughter was very attached to this Talking Tina doll. My name is Talking Tina. Well, the doll started talking to him privately whenever no one else was around, and Talking Tina would say, my name is Talking Tina, and I don't like you. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he tries to destroy the doll, and he can't destroy it. And, you know, in the end, the doll manages to do him in. Uh, and uh, some of these stories are really not too far off from that. So the people wind up getting rid of these dolls. And, and um, the most haunted doll of all is the clown doll. There's just something about clown dolls as opposed to, you know, little girl and little boy dolls uh, that seems to attract extra spirit energy. And maybe it's because clowns themselves are kind of terrifying to many people. They have a very unsettling energy to them. That's so true. I I know a number of people that are are frightened to death of of clowns. So, I mean, talk about uh, a horrible combination. Clowns and dolls, haunted clowns and dolls, uh, a lot of people's worst nightmare. And a number of movies, I think, have been made uh, or television shows. You mentioned The Twilight Zone. Of course, we have the whole the the Chucky uh, franchise, which was about... uh, uh, a haunted vent or possessed, I suppose, possessed ventriloquist doll. We'll take a time out here in a moment, and and I'll tell you very quickly about. I have a um, or used to have a ventriloquist uh, dummy uh, that I received back in 1975 from the Towers Department Store up here in Canada. I received it for Christmas. It was the only thing I wanted, and uh, was absolutely thrilled to open it up. It was called Tommy Talker. You just mentioned Talking Tina. My ventriloquist dummy was Talking to- or Tommy Talker. And uh, I had it just up until a few years ago, and my wife, uh, who I suspect is, is uh, well, I know she's very perceptive and very perhaps psychic, has had a number of paranormal experiences. She just had a bad vibe about this, this ventriloquist doll, and she made me keep it in the garage. Wouldn't allow it in the house, and then finally it ended up, ended up in, the, uh, in the dumpster. Uh, but a lot of people, you're right, absolutely frightened. Uh, by uh, ventriloquist dolls and uh, clown dolls and so forth. Rosemary Ellen Guiley with us, paranormal investigator, joins us the second Sunday of every month. We'll take a time out. When we'll come back, we'll talk more about haunted dolls here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, the author of nearly 50 books on the uh, the paranormal, supernatural, including 10 major uh, encyclopedic works. And we're talking here about haunted dolls. So do you have any haunted dolls, Rosemary? Do you collect them? Um, I don't. I have had haunted statues, which, you know, are very similar because um, statues of people uh, can become animated as well. So uh, I do have a few of those, but uh, I don't have any haunted dolls myself, per se. Um, I've had a number of cases lately. These things seem to come in waves. And for some reason, I've been getting haunted dolls lately. Um, and what people want to know, well, what do I do? Should I get rid of it? Some of these dolls have been very expensive for the, the owners. They are collectors, you know, and uh, they look for old or rare dolls or dolls that have been done as special editions or collections. Um, and they want to know, can, can I salvage the, do I have to get rid of it? Do I, can I save it? 
what what usually happens is that people get so creeped out they wind up getting rid of them and or they'll put them out in the garage you know like your wife didn't want the the ventriloquist doll in the house and um, perhaps if you had put it in the house you might have had some paranormal phenomena well they'll take it out they'll put it in a garage and uh, then the activity in the house will quiet down they think it's safe again they'll bring the doll back in and it all starts up again so uh, they realize that at that point that they just want to get rid of it so what what, what is the, if you don't want to get rid of it let's say it is an antique maybe a, fair, a family heirloom uh, but you suspect the doll is haunted, what do you do? Is there some sort of a, a, a cleansing ceremony or ritual that you can perform? There are a number of things that people can do, and, and one is to remove the doll from the premises and uh, get some uh, blessed salt uh, or some sea salt uh, and uh, put the doll in salt and uh, in a little pan and leave it outside on sunny days where and this sort of thing will help to purify the doll and then to uh to say some prayers over it uh prayers uh, you can ask the angels for example to come in and cleanse the object and um that whatever is attached and sometimes we don't know exactly what's attached whether it's residual energy that's become animated like a thought form or it's actually a spirit uh, and ask for uh, the doll to be cleansed of, of all energy and residues. And sometimes that's very effective. Uh, one should never destroy uh, an object that appears to be haunted because if it's destroyed and it does have a spirit attachment and the spirit immediately wants to jump into something else, so it might jump into another possession in the house, uh, and your problem isn't over, it's just been transferred. So that's one of the best things that people can do. There are also prayers that are binding prayers, and uh, these are for especially troublesome uh, cases where the phenomena is uh, very active and even very hostile toward people. Uh, it's safer to ritually bind a spirit to an object, um, and then the object does need to be removed from the home. And it's best to call in an expert like that, someone like myself, someone like John Zaffis. Um, many people on paranormal investigation teams are skilled at doing this sort of binding. But that's in, in exceptional cases. Usually objects can be cleansed. Tell me about a case that you've been involved with involving a, a haunted or possessed uh, a doll uh, that you found particularly disturbing. Well, there was one case where um, nightmares were involved, and uh, this was a clown doll, uh, and uh, the woman who bought it had a rather large collection of clown dolls, and... Um, none of them had ever given her any trouble. So, you know, people don't automatically think that when things start to happen that it's a doll. Uh, and uh, she put this particular doll, she propped it up on her bed, and it had a little hat. Uh, and she would walk into her bedroom and find the hat missing. Um, and it would be discovered in some bizarre location. Uh, like uh, another room or, you know, purse, you know, th weird things like that. And then sometimes the doll, she would find the doll sitting in different positions on the bed. 
and it began to give her kind of a, a, a creepy feeling. Well, she started having nightmares, and sometimes the nightmares are are vague, like people don't associate them with the doll, but um, she started having these syndromes of nightmares where she would be pursued by monsters, and that's a very common kind of nightmare. And uh, there was then an increase of poltergeist activity in the house, like thumps on the walls, and sometimes as she was drifting off to sleep, she would hear this um, thumping or tapping on the walls, and Sometimes you think, well, it's the house settling, it's, you know, a mouse got in or something like that. But the tapping would go all the way around the room, like something was doing it very deliberately. Uh, and so she contacted me. I was, she was referred to me by um, someone who, who knew of me. And I talked to her uh, about it and pinpointed that this activity, and she didn't, still didn't associate with the doll, but, um, you know, something bizarre was going on in, in the house. And I told her, paranormal activity always starts with a reason. It just doesn't start for no reason. So we were able to pinpoint that all of this started to happen at about the time when she brought this doll into the house. And she had just associated, like, the missing cap and the changed positions with absent-mindedness you know, kind of forgetfulness. But now, all of a sudden, for her, things were starting to add up. So she lived in a distant state. And uh, I told her to remove the doll uh, from the the house, and she did. And when she did, the activity then stopped. Um, so uh, I told her, I, I said, well, you can try cleansing the doll um, because this, this isn't really extreme activity here. It's been unsettling to you and it is escalating, but it's not extreme. But at that point, she did not want to, uh, to uh, hang on to the doll. So uh, I said, well, don't give it to a charity. You know, don't, uh, don't hand the problem to somebody else. Then put it in a plastic bag, sprinkle some salt in the plastic bag and say a prayer over it and um, put it out with, you know, the, the, uh, the trash. And that's what she did. A lot of these doll- dolls, of course, uh, they, um, their eyes will, can move, they can blink. Uh, if you put your, you know, with your finger, you, obviously they don't do it by themselves, but uh, uh, some of them talk if you squeeze their hand uh, and so forth. Have you ever heard uh, or received an email from someone with a doll that has had a doll doing these things on their own, maybe uh, talking, uh, uh, saying something out of the ordinary, or the eyes were moving by themselves, anything like that? Uh, I haven't had people say that they've seen the the eye eyes seem to move on their own, but they have. I have a, a, a number of cases where people have told me that the doll talks, but and in most cases they hear the doll in their heads telling them things. And in a few cases, people have sworn that they have heard a voice, like a disembodied voice, in the room. Um, I had uh, I have one case where. Um, somebody told a, told a doll uh, to stop doing those things in a very angry sort of way. And when she turned around to walk out of the room, the doll flung itself Whoa. <laughs> uh, at her. She was hit in the back with it. And, 
that that's a rather extreme action. But these um, these other types of communication, uh, some people wonder if it's just their imagination, um, if they're not accustomed to paranormal things and not thinking in, in those lines. And that can be very, very frightening to some people to, uh, to be wondering what's going on and to be looking at a doll and then hear something in their heads like the doll is talking to them. Yeah, it would be enough to swear uh, most people off dolls for life, I would think. Rosemary, thank you for this as always. What's uh, What are you working on next? I know you're heading off to uh, Gettysburg, to the Civil War uh, uh, battlefield. What else are you up to? I'm working on a book now on interdimensional portals. Uh, this is a topic I've been studying for some years, and I've been profiling portals uh, around the country for their characteristics and the type of activity in them. Uh, it's a very interesting project. And uh, also working on a book on ghosts and hauntings in West Virginia, which is one of my favorite states, very active paranormally. Yes, you just finished a, a, a book on on um, mythical or, or strange creatures from West Virginia. So the right. uh, So that state is definitely uh, paranormal central. It's uh, definitely one of the more haunted states in the country. All right, Rosemary, always a pleasure. Talk soon. Okay, thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. Good night. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Always great uh, to hear from Rosemary. And uh, as again, uh, she joins us the second Sunday of every month. Victor Vigiani is standing by from Zeland News Network. He's going to give us a quick update. Well, not too quick. We'll have uh, uh, about 20 minutes with Victor after the uh, the break coming up here. And he'll fill us in on the citizens' hearing on uh, disclosure that took place recently down in Washington. I believe uh, over a period of about five days, uh, a number of witnesses uh, Dozens and dozens of key uh, witnesses, uh, former military people, uh, politicians, uh, and they were presenting this uh, this testimony before uh, a number of former members of Congress, including a former senator, uh, Senator Gavel, I believe, who has since come out and s- stated after hearing this testimony that he's now convinced, he said there's no doubt ETs are in fact here on Earth, and they are interacting with, with humankind. Uh, so it'll be interesting to, to, to see, uh, to hear what Victor has to say after uh, sitting uh, and listening intently uh, to, the, uh, to the testimony. Uh, he sent me a quick email when he was down there and uh, told me he had uh, heard some amazing things and seen some amazing things. Photographs of, uh, military photographs of alien bodies. I'll ask him about that. So Victor Vigiani standing by. Just a quick heads up, uh, what's coming up in the uh, the weeks ahead on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, Chris Putnam uh, will be here uh, next week to talk about papal prophecies and uh, whether or not the current pope is in fact the last pope uh, as prophesied by St. Malachi. If you followed uh, or are familiar with St. Malachi's papal prophecies, writing in the 14th, 15th century, I believe, he identified all of the uh, the popes up until the, what he called the last pope uh, based on their motto or their coat of arms in some instances and with startling accuracy. So we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll hear from Chris Putnam next week on Papal Prophecies. And uh, uh, David, uh, Paul David, as a film out called The Life After Death Project. And we'll talk to uh, Paul David about that. And 
a self-described uh, a crackpot historian, Adam Gorightly, will be with us uh, to talk about uh, famous con- comedians, a growing list of famous comedians who have died under mysterious circumstances and whether or not there is a, a conspiracy there. Look forward to, uh, to hearing from Adam Gorightly. All right, Victor Vigiani standing by. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. The Citizens' Hearing on Disclosure, organized by UFO lobbyist uh, Stephen Bassett, has just wrapped up down at the National Press Club in Washington, where former members of Congress sat and heard hours and hours of riveting testimony uh, from everyone from uh, FAA officials, uh, military individuals, commercial pilots, uh, historians, uh, a podiatrist in one case, uh, Dr. Uh, um, uh, Roger Lear, uh, a former Canadian Minister of Defense and Deputy Prime Minister, Paul Hellyer, all these people gathering in Washington, testifying uh, about what they know about the ET presence here on Earth. And one in attendance was our very own Victor Vigiani, the executive director of Zealand News Network, who joins us now. Hey, Victor, how are you? Welcome home. Thanks a lot, Richard. It's great to be back. So, did you have your uh, world rocked? I mean, I know you live this beat every day, but uh, I'm guessing you heard things down there in Washington that even blew your mind. Well, having spent from uh, Monday uh, right till Friday, the entire week in the hearing room, uh, a large hearing room, it was um, extremely provocative, Richard, and it uh, it was uh, so, uh, how, how can I describe it? It was like, uh, I don't know if that you, many of your listeners uh, recall uh, the, the Watergate hearings back when Richard Nixon was uh, called into, into question about his behavior. Uh, and the, the series of witnesses that came forward, it was much like that. It was tense, it was um, dramatic, and it was all-encompassing. And the, the number of witnesses that came forward, the, um, the auspiciousness of all of the, uh, of the committee, the, the, the panel from the, the uh, former congressional leaders, it was uh, quite the scene it, it, in the National Press Club uh, in downtown Washington, D.C., you had to be there to feel the electricity in the air. Now, the the makeup of the uh, the former congressmen, these are, some of them were former representatives, some of them were former senators, all since, uh, you know, retired or no longer in office. Uh, but what was, overall, what would you say was their sort of, uh, temperament or mood? Were they feisty? Were they skeptical? Were they asking probing questions? Tell me about them. Well, the, the, uh, altogether there were six uh, former members of, of the United States legislature. Uh, uh, five of them were former congressional members of, the, of Congress. Um, Congressman Bartlett, Congressman Merrill Cook, uh, Congressman Darlene Hooley, uh, Congressman Carol Kilpatrick and Congressman woman Lynn Wolseley, and then Senator Mike Gravel, former uh, presidential candidate, by the way. So you had um, these, these these six individuals who were um, very um, extremely interested, extremely curious about the entire proceedings. Uh, initially, I would say uh, all of them were very very skeptical. They they had uh, 
They had many, many questions in mind to ask. Uh, they, they, were, they were not convinced at all uh, about the, um, the reality of the whole issue. And you could feel their skepticism on day one in terms of the kinds of questions they were asking. But as the week evolved, you could, you could feel and see, uh, not only in, their, in their, uh, their questions, but in their faces. And I spoke with several of the, uh, of the, uh, the congressmen, uh, the former congressmen, uh, during, during break periods. And uh, by the time the week ended, they, to a person, Richard, did a 180-degree turn on, on their ideas and their, 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 their skepticism behind this whole issue. Each one of them expressed on, on day five of the very last day of the hearings a complete agreement that something very, very strange was going on and that they um, were indeed uh, uh, um, you know, given the task of, 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 of unfeathering all of this information and coming forward to ask the kinds of questions that prove that we are indeed being engaged. Uh, the bottom line was each and, sing- each and every one of them, Richard, were, co- were singularly convinced that the United States government was hiding information about this and that we are, in fact, being engaged by off-world civilizations. Uh, and to a person, they became convinced of this. Even the most skeptical person of them, uh, mostly um, Congressman, former Congressman Merrill Cook, who uh, his high degree of skepticism to begin with was completely turned around. Victor Vigiani on the line just returned from Washington where he sat in on the citizens' hearing on disclosure. Now let's talk about some of the more compelling testimony. Let's start with uh, our very own uh, uh, Honorable Paul Hellyer, who, among other things, uh, testified that, uh, according to, to Hellyer, two living ETs are working with the United States government. Tell me about that particular piece of testimony. Let's actually, we'll do that when we come back. Paul Hellyer says two living ETs are working with the U.S. And, of course, he also said that at least four alien species have been visiting Earth for thousands of years. This is coming from the former deputy prime minister of this country, ladies and gentlemen, testifying in Washington. Back with Victor Vigiani right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Victor Vigiani is with us, just returned from Washington, the citizens' hearing on a disclosure. So, Victor, let's get right into it. Uh, the Honorable Paul Hellier, how long did he testify for, and uh, what were some of those the more profound things that he had to say? Well, basically, uh, Richard, he testified uh, on the last day, on day five, himself and Stephen Bassett, Richard Dolan, they sort of uh, took over the, the last half of the last day. And uh, Paul Hellyer um, spoke about not only his, uh, his previous involvement with the, um, with the ET issue in terms of what came across his desk back when he was the Minister of Defense here in Canada. He did not necessarily admit um, while he was uh, uh, Minister of Defense that he had a particular interest in the, the UFO or ET issue. Things did come across his desk at that time, and you've got to remember this was many, many years ago uh, when he was Minister of Defense under um, under Lester B. Pearson. But at that time, he really didn't take much of the um, the, the UFO uh, information that came across his desk seriously, because he was not as he was today um, and is today plugged into this. But uh, as he um, grew in his understanding about this, uh, basically back in 2005 when he came forward at 
Convocation Hall and uh, had read the book by Phil, uh, Philip Corso uh, the day after Roswell, became virtually convinced after his briefing with a former general in the United States Air Force, uh, he, be- he became convinced that uh, there was a UFO presence. And basically what Paul did say is that he took information from uh, Philip Corso and from others that he's been in contact with, that basically there is a shadow government, there is a ruling elite uh, involving uh, the Rockefellers and the Bush, and there is a cabal of a military-industrial complex, Bilderbergers and other cartels involved, tall whites that are living uh, on the U.S. Air Force base property, either in Area 51 or in other areas, and other uh, species from Zeta Reticuli, Pleiadians, or Orions, uh, that are in fact engaging with the United States government. And this sounds very provocative uh, and very um, questionable in a lot of people's eyes, but for this to come forward from a former Minister of National Defense in Canada, it impressed each and every one of the, the, the former congressmen that were listening to his, uh, to his testimony. So uh, this individual, in the form of um, Paul Hellyer, was definitely someone who impressed the, the committee with not only his uh, understanding of what the extraterrestrial engagement is, but his commitment and his forcefulness in encouraging this committee to make a full statement that they support the idea that we are, in fact, being engaged. And that was one of the very provocative issues that, uh, that I think Paul Hellyer brought forward, is to uh, allow these congressmen to be completely convinced that the United States government is uh, being engaged by off-world civilizations and has, in fact, interacted with them. And that's probably the most important thing, one of the things that he, that he said that impressed me the most. Over the five days, what, looking back, what was the most compelling piece of evidence, whether it was a document, whether it was a photograph or a, a film, that was presented to these congressmen, the most compelling piece of evidence that we are, in fact, being engaged by ETs? Well, I think there's two of them, uh, Richard. Uh, the, the first one was the testimony of the... Um, of uh, Captain Robert Salas and Captain Fenstermacher of the United States Air Force. Both of these uh, former U.S. Air Force missile launch commanders were in charge of nuclear weapons in the med- United States, uh, one at Mouser Air Force Base and another one at Echo Flight. And what they testified basically was that during their tenure as uh, launch commanders, uh, they were in charge of approximately 12 to 15 nuclear missiles in silos at their bases. Basically, UFOs would come over the security areas and hover. The security officers uh, up on top, they were 60 feet below, would report to them that UFOs were hovering over their missile installation sites. And then once these UFOs were hovering, at some point during this this hovering procedure, uh, all 12 to 20 missiles were shut down by the UFOs. And to, to hear these uh, two United States uh, officers testify uh, to the fact that nuclear missiles were compromised in their two instances, plus there were five other instances that this uh, occurred in. This was extremely important testimony, not just because of the, the nature of, of the way they described the UFOs, but um, in, in, with respect to the national security implications where craft of unknown origin would hover over nuclear insulation and be uh, completely uncontrolled. Like the, the United States Air Force had no control over these UFOs. They were incursions over Air Force security installations. They had no control over these things. These things would hover uh, and electromagnetically influence the nuclear missiles to be shut down and to be, uh, to be put into a no-go situation where these basically uh, these missiles were useless. 
And I think that the, both of the individuals that testified, uh, Fenstermacher and Salas, indicated these UFOs had complete control over whether or not these, uh, these missiles would be able to be launched. And for them to admit, as uh, former launch commanders uh, who controlled missiles that could literally be launched to go to anywhere on the planet and destroy any number of cities or, or, or countries, this kind of testimony was extremely provocative in terms of the way that Senator Gravel and the other congressmen interpreted it. And there was a, a real eye-opener just to see that the most powerful country on the planet, their missiles could be shut down virtually automatically by these, uh, by these craft of unknown origin. So that's one of the things that was, in my mind, probably one of the most powerful um, two or three hours of testimony by these two men. A guy that's I know that was a witness and has been on this program many times uh, before, and, and I think you, you, you and I agree, he's probably one of the most plugged-in individuals in terms of just the documents that he has, and that's Dr. Stephen Greer. I met him in Washington, and he showed me some amazing documents that weren't even declassified. They, he just obtained those. They were leaked. These were documents that were stamped, you know, majestic, and just some incredible uh, information. What sort of documentation uh, did he provide to the uh, the committee? Can you give us some highlights from Dr. Stephen Greer? Well, basically, <laughs> Stephen Stephen provided some uh, pretty in depth documentation. One of the most provocative ones that that he, he talked about. Not only were they of, of UFO sightings or interactions with the government, but what Stephen provided was very specific documentation that not only is the United States government involved in hiding this material. Uh, what he provided was very specific documentation, Richard, about the amount of money in the sequestered special access programs that the United States government is, is, is involved in. He indicated that there are trillions, literally trillions of dollars, that are being set aside by the United States government to investigate not only the presence of off-world civilizations, but the amount of money that's actually being sequestered by the government to develop technologies that are being used and perfected by the government. These technologies involve scalar weapons, anti-gravitic technologies, in some cases uh, transformational technologies, teleportation, and all different types of exotic technologies that are being kept from the United States people and from the government. And he was very specific in this. And I, I can tell you that sitting there listening to uh, Stephen Greer's uh, testimony and being very close to the actual witness testimony table and watching the faces of the congressman while Stephen Greer and other, of course, other witnesses were testifying, these people, the former congressmen, were literally sitting there shaking their heads in absolute disbelief because these people had not heard any of this information before. They were not briefed beforehand. They were not necessarily given any you know, prior uh, information about this. They were told what other witnesses shared with them in sort of a very cursory way. But once they heard the depth of testimony by people like Greer regarding special access programs and the amount of money that was actually being set aside in a hidden form with no oversight by Congress, the congressmen were absolutely gobsmacked by the fact that their own United States government would be sort of involved in this kind of uh, affair to keep this from the American people. Victor, we've got about three minutes, and I want, a couple of, I want to hit on a couple of points here. Number sure. one, you sent me an email. You were, you were down there for maybe a couple of days. You sent me this email just to say hello, and I've arrived, and it's amazing, and, and so forth. You hinted that you'd seen some photographs. These were military photographs, reportedly, of alien bodies. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, uh, 
the actual testimony by people who had actually seen seen alien bodies. This was testimony given by a, a, a number of, of, of people. R Richard Dolan was one of them, stating that uh, people that he had interviewed had actually seen alien bodies. Uh, not only did um, uh, were, were bodies seen, uh, they were actually sort of um, uh, the, the, the testimony regarding, um, uh, I guess, the, the analysis of these bodies, the, the autopsy of these bodies. We've we've all seen or heard of the alien autopsy film that was that's been proven uh, by uh, that, that was that was a hoax. However, uh, there was testimony that there was in fact autopsies of actual alien bodies uh, done by forensic scientists uh, of, of the of the alien bodies. And this was one of the most disturbing things that I think um, the uh, the congressman found the most difficult to understand. Um, and the, the other thing I, I would like to, t to touch on very briefly with you is a testimony of, of um, a former U.S. Uh, uh, Air Force Sergeant Jim Penniston, who actually was engaged in the, uh, the Reynoldsham Forest incident, where, the Uf where a UFO was seen uh, landing on uh, or near uh, the Bentwaters Air Force Base in the U.K. back in, 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 the, uh, in the late 80s, where he actually saw this thing land of a craft of about 25 feet in diameter, where he walked up to this craft, you had to be there, the, the chilling aspect of being there and listening to Jim Pennison describe as he walked up to the UFO and actually touched this thing and walked around it and examined it, the UFO, looked at the inscriptions on the side of the, uh, of the UFO. And Jim Pennison's uh, testimony, I think, was probably the most provocative that, I, that sent literally chills up my back uh, while I was listening to it. And the silence in the room as he gave his testimony, as he touched this UFO and engaged it, and was uh, actually physically affected by, by the presence of the UFO with radiation and other medical uh, implications of, of what he did and what he saw on that day. I, I met Jim in Phoenix a couple years ago, and he, and, and he sat with him face to face, and he told me the story. And this guy is totally believable. And for those people that think these guys are out there, you know, promoting this and and uh, you know are out to make money, these guys have suffered horribly as a result. It's the last thing that they wanted to happen to them in terms of their career and so forth. But very quickly, we've got about thirty seconds. Just yeah. tell me. The media. I know that that this actually, thanks to you in large measure, this received some major coverage here in Canada. The Toronto Star featured this on the front page, and you were quoted in that article. Tell me overall, just a, a, in, a, in thirty seconds, the, the way the media is handling this citizens' hearing. Well, very quickly, Richard. Um, the the way the media is handling this is, is very specific. Um, I think that the the idea of that the media coverage on this is not finished yet. We have not heard the end of how the media is covering this. You know, the Toronto Star article by Mitch by Mitch Potter was very uh, very well done. It's probably the most one of the most credible, uh, very well written pieces on on the hearings. And I'm convinced that that the, the the media coverage on this issue is not finished yet. And I think NBC, CBS, and, and ABC have yet to really kind of dig their teeth into the full. Um, I guess determination of what these Congress people are going to be doing with this information, and I think we need to we need to kind of stand by and listen to what the media will be doing because the the, the media coverage on this was extremely specific, and I know the front page news that uh, that we got here at Zealand Communications about the, uh, the the hearings was, as far as I'm concerned, a groundbreaker. And one of the goals that I've already had in in my life is to become. Part of a front page news story that involved UFOs, and I'm very proud of that. And you should be, Victor. Great work. Thanks for joining us. We'll uh, we'll see you here in the studio 
in the not too distant future. Thanks for this. We'll talk to you soon. Bye for right. now. Victor Vigiani. Thanks for Tim's, uh, Tim the screen for production. Uh, back next week. Hope, you, hope you'll be aboard for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.